Welcome in, everyone. It is uh, Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. Uh, and tonight you're listening to what will be the 50th episode of State of the Family Courts. Yes, uh, it seems crazy that uh, it was uh, beginning of May last year. I made my first appearance on TFRM. Uh, spent an evening talking with Rosa on his show. About a month later, we launched State of the Family Courts. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really glad. Uh, we've, we've had tens of thousands of views. We've answered hundreds of questions. Um, it, it's, it's, it's really been a pleasure. And I'm excited. We have some really, really cool things planned uh, for year two. Um, we covered about two dozen states in year one. Uh, we're hoping to get uh, every single uh, state covered by the end of this year. So um, that, that's a number one goal, but uh, the 50th episode. So thank you, everyone. Um, and tonight, I, I thought it would be fitting. I, I would do some talking and answer questions. It's been a while since I've hopped on here and done a Q&A. I am battling a little bit of a, of a chest cold, a little throat thing. So I apologize for that, but I'm excited to hop in and answer um, any questions uh, that we may have about family court. I know uh, I, I know one topic that is uh, probably going to come up is the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And I, I've gotten this question a lot from clients, from people. What is this going to do for men moving forward? And sadly, my opinion is you're probably not going to see much change. So Don, Johnny Depp spent literally tens of millions of dollars on this crusade to do that. And that's just not something that the average person can do. Um, we haven't heard the end of that, though. I, I did see today that, that Amber Heard's team is going to be appealing that decision. So uh, I, I don't think I know we've been on uh, Depp and Heard watch for six weeks. I don't necessarily think that, uh, that, that we've heard the last of, of that case. So tonight we'll do half hour, 45 minutes of just taking questions. If you have a question, if you've never been here before, go ahead, drop your questions in the comments, whether you're on Facebook or YouTube, and we will, we'll dive in and we'll answer as many as we can. All right. So. I'll take some here. So, uh, uh, Trish, have you covered Arizona? We have not, uh, but a uh, little sneak preview. That is one that you'll probably see in the next six weeks. So uh, some of the bigger states we've really focused on that we have not had yet. Uh, so hopefully you're going to see uh, New York, um, Arizona, some of these other larger states. We also have, uh, we have a, actually we have a variety here in the next two months or so. But, but Arizona should be coming up here soon. Vanessa, thank you. Thank you. Um, glad to have you on board, and I, I hope you enjoy the show tonight. So let's uh, – Delaware and Pennsylvania. Yes. So we had Karen Ulmer on. Uh, she is in uh, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. We have not had Delaware, but we have had – and uh, Larry DeMarco. So we've actually had – two Pennsylvania attorneys on the show. So uh, Karen Ulmer, who actually practices family law in the state of Pennsylvania in the Philadelphia area. And then Larry DeMarco is someone who's been very, very active in the equal and shared parenting community. Uh, and he, he's actually a PI attorney by trade, but uh, he's been very active and provides a lot of resources for pro se litigants. So uh, 
now, now we got all the questions uh, coming in about what states we have covered. I'll, I'll, I'll try to cover that and maybe maybe we can get a graphic posted uh, with the links to all the various states here. Um, yeah, so Illinois, yes, we've had Ted Bush and uh, and uh, Joseph Emmerthon. Uh, Joe was almost exactly a year ago. Ted's been on two or three times. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia, we had Ed Hecht on, so that, that that's a great episode you can uh, you can look up. And, and I got to give a shout out. And you said you're in Cobb County. If you're in the Atlanta area, really anywhere in Georgia, um, give a call to Ed Hecht, H E C H T. Um, he is actually a dad who has been through the family court system himself. Phenomenal attorney. So let's go ahead and hop in. How about how about I take a few questions rather than we'll we'll do in a roll call of states. So this is a good one. This one's one that comes up uh, quite a bit. What would it take to rem- remove judicial immunity from family court? Uh, probably a lot. Um, and I don't necessarily know if we would want a blanket removal of judicial immunity. I think uh, I think one thing we've seen in the past twelve months that probably needs to get looked at is the quasi-judicial immunity. Um, I'm not a huge fan of all the third parties that get involved in family courts, some more active than in other states. California is not as bad as some states, um, but the guardians ad litem, we've seen issues in Chicago and St. Louis with those, the therapists, the evaluators, those people. I think though that that's kind of the first layer of this judicial immunity that needs to go because a lot of states are finding that they have quasi judicial immunity. So when they they're the bad actor, they hide behind this immunity and it prevents parents from getting just outcomes. Um, so judicial immunity, what would it take? I mean, you're I, I, I don't see a plausible situation where you're going to get it removed in a blanket situation. Do I think chipping it away and preventing it from just being a blanket immunity could be a good thing? Potentially. I'm not not so sure, certain on that. And the reason why is because if you don't have judicial immunity, what you're going to end up having is every single parent that doesn't like their outcome running to state court or running to federal court and suing the judge, suing the courts, suing the county, suing the state, and you're going to cause an even bigger backlog. Um, I think there are other ways that we can create accountability rather than creating that problem that that would be really hard to resolve because these judges are already overworked and are already seeing um, too many cases. Now you're going to throw in them regularly getting sued. Um, I think we can get rid of the blanket judicial immunity, but there's going to, there has to be some level of judicial immunity to just for the sanctity of the court and to have the courts available to the public to go to. So that's a really good question. Um, Like I said, the quasi judicial immunity, I think that's got to go. If you're an actor in the court system and you're not the judge, um, if you're, you're a guardian ad litem, if you're a child's attorney, if you're any of those things, an evaluator, a therapist that's operating in that realm, you should not be granted immunity. So that's, that's my piece on, on that, that judicial immunity. All right, so let's dig in here.
Tim, this is a really, really good point here. Really, really good question. This is something we saw a lot of. During the pandemic, my son's mom decided to keep our son at, at one house against my input. Courts and the police did not want to address the parenting agreement. We saw this all over the country, uh, really for the past two plus years now. Um, we saw in 2020, there was a period of time where just about every single state had the court system shut down unless you had a domestic violence filing or unless you had an emergency emergency filing. There were uh, there were certain courthouses out here in California that were closed for four or five months um, where you essentially had to have an emergency situation or what the court deemed an emergency to to create this. Um, one of the positive effects, I think, coming out of the pandemic, and I think dads suffered from um, what you're speaking of more than, uh, than moms did is that, uh, I think it's become much more clear to the judges, which parents gatekeeping, which parents dictating it's made it much less. He said, she said, uh, there's obviously some suffering involved, having the children withheld one parent dictating rules, but I've seen a lot more situations where coming out of the pandemic custody has flipped. Um, because the judge sees that, hey, mom is the one who's the issue here. And exhibit 1A here is during the pandemic, she said, yeah, the kids can't go to dad's house or uh, dad's got to wear a mask around them. Uh, th there are any number of things that we've seen. I, I think we've seen an increase in custody being flipped in those situations. Um, and number number two on that is that um, I think that, um, there have been a lot of kids, especially I would say the 12 to 15 year olds. I've seen a, an increase in number of cases in the last six months where teenagers have come, ha, have said, I don't want to live with the parent that made all those rules withheld me from the other parent during the COVID issues. So, and then third on, on the very positive front, we see, we've seen a lot with the homeschool where a lot of parents did go to 50 50. Uh, they did week on week off so they could both shoulder the load. And I think uh, in the long run, that's going to be a huge step forward for uh, for dads. Um, on the last piece, the courts and police not wanting to address the parenting agreement. Um, that's an ongoing issue. I mean, so many states we have criminal code out here. Um, I know Missouri, Texas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, most states have a criminal code, Illinois, for parental interference. And um, I think part of it out here is we have a lot of law enforcement clients and, and it's educating them on that and also educating our dads on if there are issues, here's how you deal with them. Here's how you address them with law enforcement. Here's how you document them, because unfortunately, we know that the first or second time we do, we report these things. A lot of times they don't get taken seriously. Um, at, for example, out here in California, I've only seen it prosecuted a few times when it was prosecuted. It was something that it was so black and white. Mom had to plead out to it. Um, but the the. The one I'm most familiar with, dad documented for months. We're talking there were 16, 18, 20 weeks worth of police reports where mom refused to do the custody exchange. And then finally, the DA picked it up. Um, is that something that needs to change? Yes. 
it's very black and white, a law is being violated. And a lot of times what happens is that parent that's withholding tries to leverage kind of some creases in the law, domestic violence, kids don't want to go. Um, but, but a lot of times when in, 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 at least here in California, when you want to get the penal code enforced, when you want to get the DA to take your case up, you need to be diligent in reporting it every single time and documenting what's going on. All right, got to give another shout out. Ed Hecht, uh, Hecht Family Law, H-E-C-H-T. Um, he is ba- he's, uh, su- uh, suburbs of Atlanta. He covers most of the state of Georgia, um, and, and he really is the man there. Um, highly recommend if you're in the Atlanta area that you check out Ed. Big shout out, uh, Mark Andrews. I, I we haven't had to ha- had the opportunity to chat. I've seen some stuff. Um, some people have reached out about this uh, running for U.S. Congress. One of your pieces, your platform, getting the Family Law Bill of Rights Act codified and on the president's desk. Um, I, I think that uh, we're seeing a lot of movement at the state level. Um, I think uh, 2023, uh, 2022, big year, West Virginia finally got something passed, got a lot of momentum in several states going into 2023. Um, I think we may be ripe to have something start moving at the federal level, which candidly will be even more challenging than uh, than it is at the state level, just due to the diversity. And um, unfortunately, right now, we've seen the the states that have passed these things are very red states. Um, most of them are, are super majority, well, all three of them are super majority Republican states. So, uh, getting something moving where we're much closer to 50, 50, um, in terms of red and blue at the federal level, um, more challenging, but, but I think in, in the next couple of years, we're going to be ripe for some movement. So, um, Mark, thank you for all you are doing and all you are, uh, for, for really the the light you're shining on the issues we face in in family court on a daily basis. Michonne, yeah, this is so uh, more of a statement, but I think it's a really, really good point. And this is something we advise clients on. So my son's ex has a felony child abuse charge on her. My son still gets 50-50 with her being primary. It's crazy how this works. Um, one of the things we always tell men is that that men are treated differently in family court. Um, I, I, it's, I think it's undeniable. I think it's crazy for someone to argue. Otherwise you look at these situations and you look at what goes on and what happens in family court. You look at the statistics, you look at the disparity of way men and women are treated in courts where we do have data tracking, such as criminal women are treated differently than men, men treated differently than women. 
Um, and, and I've, I've personally seen, and I believe that, that it's much easier for women to overcome, um, one bad decision, two bad decisions, much shorter ramp up to proving they're a fit parent than a father. Um, so I agree. I mean, there are a lot of men who, if they had a felony child abuse charge on their record, that it would be a years long battle to get unsupervised visits. And the fact that a woman can, in a very short period of time, overcome that for what reason other than she is a woman um, and get 50-50 custody is is not right. Um, I, I Felony child abuse, that's serious. Um, some of the other stuff, I, I think we get ticky-tack and, and we, we stop looking at what the real purpose or real point of, of the custody agreement should be. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I completely agree that it's crazy how the family court system just simply, it, 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 treat, it treats men much worse than it treats women, especially when there's been issues such as CPS investigations, drug use, maybe one or two wrong decisions. Women are more likely to get a pass. Men are more likely going to have to prove that they're a fit parent now. All right, Vanessa here with a question. If child support case is handled separately in another county than custody case, do you recommend moving these cases together? Interesting question. We see it happen sometimes. Um, I would say it depends. In general, is it going to be cheaper and more effective, especially if you have an ongoing case where you can, you're able to pair kind of the court dates together? Uh, I, I would say yes. Um a lot of that's going to depend on the state, though. Um, in California, if one county is collecting on the child support and dispersing it, you, you would have to go through the process of, of getting that change. And that could be a somewhat lengthy, costly process. Um, I, some other states may be different. I know some states require it. It has to be where the kids are living. Um, I, I've seen there, there are definitely cases we've handled where it's not even a different county. Child custody is in St. Louis, Missouri, and Riverside, California is doing child support. Um, in those situations, I would say that you definitely want to push, especially California, going to be a little bit higher child support number, most likely than a calculator in another state. But uh, it depends on the situation. If the situation's stable, I wouldn't rock the boat. I wouldn't spend the money. But um, if it's ongoing, it may be cheaper and more effective to get those cases um, merged together um, because they wouldn't technically in California, they wouldn't be they wouldn't be as one if they're in different counties where if you get them moved into the same county, they're going to they're going to be one one. They're going to get merged essentially into one case. Um, so that's uh, that, that that's a, that's a big it depends question um, on your situation. Don't rock the boat if it's working. If not, it may make sense to try to get them into the same county. All right, Wayne. So currently we have a case suspended for the last five years in Maryland. I allowed her to move out to California based on a written agreement. We never had the judge sign. Bad legal advice from past lawyer. Yeah, your, your notarized agreements, your, your signed contracts carry no weight. Do I need to transfer the case to California or can I open a new case in California? 
So um, jurisdictional question here. So if there's an open case in Maryland, if the case is open, that means Maryland has claimed jurisdiction and Maryland has jurisdiction until they, until they release it. Now, you especially probably have grounds to request the case get transferred, and that may make sense for you. Um, but if there's an open case in your state, no matter the state, and it's been ongoing, and like this mom moves, the case stays in that state. And there are certain factors that would need to be weighed if the case were to be moved. Now, you being the parent who still lives in Maryland, if you requested the move to California, you could get it granted. Um, mom would have a much higher burden to get that case transferred out because it's still convenient to you. Um, so it, I, I don't know exactly what you mean by suspended, whether they're, they're refusing to do anything else or whether it's just kind of been on pause. But uh, in, in terms of Maryland has jurisdiction, that means Maryland keeps jurisdiction until essentially someone requests they don't have jurisdiction and they release it. So I hope, I hope that answers your question. So it doesn't matter if it's been 10 years, 15 years, and no one lives in that state. The case resides in the state it was filed in and that took jurisdiction until one of the parties requests it gets changed. Baron here, another another fantastic point about law enforcement involvement. Um, had a had a client tell me that uh, that police officers spend upwards of seventy percent of their working shift dealing with domestic disputes. They just don't want to get involved, um, and that's why a lot of times you have to. Um, you really have to demand that police report, and and I know that uh, that that a lot of a lot of individuals who in all states that I've spoken with that have been successful with the criminal side of it have just had to be very firm with officers and say, you know what, this is a violation of the law. I I want to report. I, I want I want an incident report. I at least need an incident report. Um, and we I've even seen in some cases where this happens over and over again, and eventually the officer comes around to it. And, and understands what's going on, so um, that is uh, that. That's something that's very, very true. And I don't know if it's because I don't know how true that seventy percent is, but uh, but I know in a day in day out basis in our firm, um, there's very few days that go by that there's unfortunately not police involvement in some form or fashion around custody. So um, that that is something we deal with. That is something that you see. Um, and, and we do our best to try to educate. Um, we try to educate as many um, police officers, law enforcement, as we can. Delaware court system is so messed up. How they do child support before visitation rights? I don't think that's fair. There's a lot of states that'll do that. We have a, we have a lot of cases where dad uh, out here where dad actually has 50%, 40% custody. Mom and dad broke up and mom goes to the Department of Child Support Services and claims it's 100 to 0. Um so that's uh 
that's something that that's kind of a mechanism that I mean, I, I know some men go through where everything's dealing with child support. And then they they the custody comes second. I, I, I agree with you. We usually advise men when they're going to be going through this child support piece of it is that we need to we need to push forward on the custody side of things to get a firm custody plan in place so that mom can't try to yank around child support to try to get more by claiming a higher percentage. So, and on top of that, uh, if you go to sharedparenting.org, Delaware, I believe, is one of the two states along with New York that grades out as an F. So um, statutorily, um, National Parents Organization would agree with you that their, their family court system is very messed up. Wayne here. Being across the country, what's reasonable? Ask for time. I was thinking of bringing him here for half the summer and me going there for either winter or summer break. Um, being long distance like that, um, we definitely have clients all over the country who have cases out here, have kids who live out here. And, and it's really age and situation dependent. Um, younger kids, it's going to depend on, I would say, one or zero to three or four, it's going to really depend on how much, what the, what the relationship has been like, um, and, and how much both parents have been involved. Um, I'd say four to four to 11 or 12, really before they hit the high school years. Um, that that's prime situation where we have a lot of cases where, um, we do two week spring break, two week Thanksgiving break out here where the away parent has all school breaks. So they have 10 weeks for summer break. They have two weeks for fall break. They have two weeks for Christmas break. And then they have two weeks for spring break, which um, I mean, it's, it's not near 50, 50, but I mean, of the 52 weeks of the year um, gets them to 16 weeks. It's really hard to do anything shorter than probably a week um, period. So, um, especially with those, those elementary school age and early middle school age kids, we see a lot of that, that gets challenging when they get to high school age, because what do high schoolers want to do? Well, one, they probably don't want to spend their entire summer with their parents. They want to spend their entire summer with their friends. Um, so, uh, that, that one gets challenging. Um, but I, I think, um, in terms of, we definitely have situations where they split the breaks or they split summer break. Um, and then they get spring break and fall break and they do some split of Christmas break as well. Um, really you're looking for any, any significant off time during school. Um, we also encourage, we always try to get, um, like the long weekends, the three or four day weekends when school is in session, uh, for, Hey, can with 30 days notice, can I come out there on a Wednesday or Thursday? And then, hey, they, they have Monday off of school. So get to spend almost an entire week with three or four days off of school. So that's another thing that we usually try to throw in if possible. 
um, that, hey, get, get, a lo- get long weekends, be able to go out and visit the kid on long weekends. So it, in short, it's really situation dependent. Um, we have everything from child's homeschooled and it's two weeks on, two weeks off to all of all of all four of the major school breaks to splitting all four of the major school breaks. So um, it's something you have to look at. There's obviously a financial piece with the flying and depending on the age of the child, you may have to make round trips to pick up the child. Um, so there's a lot of factors that go into that. But but I think you have to take a look and say, what what can you actually do? And what does your child want? Um, that's that that would be the big piece. That's what I would tell you on that front is is that you, you got to take a look at what's possible because we see it far too often. Guys come to us and especially with long distance, they've committed to something they can't do. If you can't do monthly flights out to California from Georgia to see your child, then don't commit to it because it's going to look bad to the judge. So first thing you got to do is look at yourself and say, what can I actually commit to? What do I want? And um, then then be able to make that make that decision. This is a comment, but I'll kind of I'll speak for California on this. So Vin with the comment, send support payments via check. So I would probably rephrase it and it's don't do support payments via cash. Um, It's becoming, at least here in California, uh, very, very widely acceptable for um, custody payments to be made via Zelle, Venmo, Cash App, um, direct bank transfer. So, um, yeah, that's the, the, the old school, I think, prior to all of those was like needs to be in check so you have a record. Um, nowadays, uh, technology um, can definitely bridge that and make things a little bit more simple. I would definitely check with a local attorney here in California zero issue whatsoever, making support payments with Zelle, Cash App, those types of things. Um, other states, there may be there may be issues around that. Um, and you always want to make sure it's clearly labeled as child support, which the other parent may not like. But if you clearly label it and say, this is for child support, it's really hard to dispute. If you bring in your Venmo statements that show that you've been making this same payment labeled as child support for X number of months, that mom's claiming you haven't made child support payments. I'll hop back to Wayne here. I I touched on your question. You got a follow up here. So 
in short, for those that just hopped in, so there was a case in Maryland for custody. Mom moved without a court order, but dad agreed. And now the case, there really hasn't been anything going on in the case. So should you reopen the Maryland case? So if it's for custody, custody in, in, in every single state is technically an open issue until the child turns 18, um, sometimes 19, California, it's 19 or high school graduation. So it's probably not that you have to reopen the case. The case is still there. Um, your state may have procedures to if a case hasn't had any activity in a period of time. But if Maryland took jurisdiction, Maryland still has jurisdiction. So you definitely have the option to do that. The other option could be it's more time consuming, most likely, would be to request that the, to move through and get the case transferred to the state of California. So that in the state of California, these things can get um, so it can get brought into the state of California. Now, I'll tell you, California, just about every single county you're going to deal with uh, is going to uh, be two to three months at minimum from getting transferred in before you're going to get any sort of hearing. So that, that's something that I, I would speak with a local attorney in terms of where your case is in Maryland um, and what strategically would make sense for you, because in your position, you're probably going to have the option of either getting it transferred to California or reopening it in Maryland. Yeah, Vanessa here makes a really good point. I know here in California, there's there's a lot of resources on on recommendations. Um, I wouldn't necessarily use those as that's the hard and fast. This is what you should do. It can give you ideas. And a lot of times if it's on the court website, you need to use it as a tool. That's what the court leans towards. So in terms of you making your arguments for 50-50 parenting or you making your arguments for... Um, for there to be something different than the normal, um, you need to know what normal is and you kind of need to know, and that'll, that'll be the starting point for you making those arguments that, Hey, they may be, it may be a state like Texas that, that has pretty set in stone. Here's the parenting arrangement. Well, you need to know that parenting arrangement they like to go to so that you can, you can kind of combat it and that you can, you can make your, your solid legal arguments why that's not going to work in your situation. So re really good, uh, really good comment there, Vanessa, in terms of use that as a resource, because a lot of times the courts are going to kind of signal what they like to do. All right, Baron here. 50-50 should be the standard, and if it's not, child support should only apply if both parents work and one has more time. But at least, at the very least, there should be a cap on child support. So you brought up several really, really good points in, in that comment. So 50-50 should be the standard. 100% agree. Um, the premise behind equal and shared parenting, a presumption that custody be 50-50. Um, unless 
one party can prove that's not in the best interest of the child. Um, we're up to three states now. Three states have this legislation active. Uh, Kentucky from 2018, Arkansas for 2021, and then West Virginia in 2022. So that's something that, uh, that, that is gaining a lot of momentum. And, and I would not be shocked if next year is the first year that we see multiple states get across the finish line. Um, there, there's going to be several that are really going to make a good run at it. So, uh, yeah, I agree 100%. So child support, child support is a broken calculation. A lot of times, um, a cap, I don't know if you could put a cap on it just because incomes vary so wildly and family roles vary so wildly, but, um, I, I don't, I think there, there needs to be guardrails that prevents both parties from living in poverty right now. Um, right now in with child support there, there's a tendency of it creates really two parents that are living below the poverty line. So um, we know that the way currently custody gets settled um, puts an extra burden on women that dramatically impacts their earning potential to the sense that uh, women, depending on their race, um, earn 50, 60 or 70 cents on the dollar to their similarly situated male colleague. So that's uh, that, that, that's an issue that all of a sudden you have you've severely inhibited one parent's earning ability. Then you turn around and you force the other parent to supplement it. All of a sudden, you have two low-income households. And I, I dare you to find a, a social study that says that growing up in a low-income household or multiple low-income households is a positive. So um, it, it definitely needs to be bro- It definitely needs to be fixed. There needs to be guardrails to prevent the payor from living in poverty. Um, and uh, the 50-50 piece, I, that, that's always a weird one um, in terms of we, we have a lot of parents who end up just waiving child support at 50-50. Um, others demand the guideline child support. Um, I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think when parties have been in a relationship, um, that's when things get a little bit challenging in terms of if one parent was the breadwinner, and the other parent, it was decided they stay at home and they take care of the kids, you probably need some sort of equalization for a period of time. But if the parent parties were never, never took those roles, were never in that type of relationship, I would tend to agree with you. Um, if there was never a you stay at home or you cut back on your work and I'll provide for the family, then um, a 50-50 arrangement, you pay for yours, I'll pay for mine. Um and barring some extreme circumstance, um, you don't need child support. And we've even seen this from uh, from the fe- from a female perspective. It'd probably been oh, probably about a year year and a half ago. Halle Berry came out, and she had a ridiculous child support and spousal support bill. Um, why? Because she was rich and famous, and married someone who was not. And all of a sudden, she was paying. I think it was like fifteen, sixteen thousand dollars a month when uh, when she got divorced. So definitely needs to be some guardrails and, um, the work thing. I think we're seeing a lot more, um, a lot more of a trend towards the expectation that you go get work. So I I think that, uh, we we've seen a lot of that post COVID now where 
um, the perception is jobs are so readily available that we have seen a lot, a lot, a lot of courts go in and say, mom, you got to go back to work or dad, you got to go back to work. Um, and Baron, yeah, uh, ridiculous 15 K because you married someone rich. It, it's the system. And, and the, the really screwy thing about California is if you are ultra wealthy, there's literally statutory, there's statutes that say the child support calculation doesn't apply and the judge can do whatever they want. So, um, it, it definitely does get screwy. Um, and, and we see it with both men and women. I think there's going to be an interesting dynamic in the next 10 to 15 years, something like 60 plus percent of college graduates are female. Um, it's, it's north of that, I believe, in law school. I mean, we're talking 55, 60% of law school graduates are female. The vast majority of advanced degrees are female. Uh, so I think we're going to see a, a, a tide turn here where females are more educated. Um, and as, as I'm, I'm 31, as, as my generation grows into the leadership roles, we're going to see uh, it's going to be more women than men. And so we're going to see we're going to see a shift where men earn less than women, at least on the front of education. Now, there's some like the blue collar trades and different things are always going to kind of be the equalizing factor because they're so male dominant and they pay so well. Uh, but uh, you're, you're going to see a, t a turn where uh, where women uh, where women earn generally more than men, I think, or they start to bridge the gap of, of equaling that. And um, it's going to be an interesting dynamic in family court. We've definitely seen some petitions come across where the attorney just files for attorney's fees, child support, spouse support, everything for mom. And mom earns two or three times what dad did. Um, we actually had an extreme case where it was more like 10 times. Um, so it, it's an interesting dynamic um, that, that I think is going to kind of start to turn here in the next decade or so. Ooh, this is a good one. And I'm pro probably going to get a lot of people that disagree with my position on this. So Ruthie here, why uh, don't they have a card with statements to know what the money is getting spent on? They should pass that into law. Um, that's problematic on a lot of fronts. We've seen this um, tracking of money or limiting of spending um, in uh, some, uh, some states in regards to food stamps. And it's been it's been problematic. Um, I forget what state it was, but there was a state where it was like a mom of six or something was on um, food stamps and she couldn't buy pasta with the food stamps. Um, and it was like it, like there was a limit on the number of potatoes she could buy with her food stamps um, on the on the child support front. There's some concern of, of some what we call coercive control, knowing what they're doing, knowing what they're spending. Um, and I think the general position is that if you fix the system and you put the guardrails in place, it makes things more fair. It makes things so you fix and you have the presumption of 50-50 custody. 
and then you have the guardrails that prevent poverty and you start looking at what does a child actually need not what can a parent pay um if you get those things i don't think you need something like this and this would just concern me in terms of what are the conversations that are going to happen okay so you go out and you have a, a not, you, you go out and you you pay with this card and you pay at a fancy restaurant you go to a steakhouse and and, and the whole fam- whole family's there mom boyfriend kids and type of conversations that's going to lead to probably aren't going to be productive um, and it's probably there there are some bad actors in this that um, that that it would just it would cause increased tensions um, and, and I, so I think I would rather fix the root cause of the issue the presumption of 50, get a presumption of 50, 50, and then also get common sense child support laws rather than go in and try to fix a, a surface problem. So, and, and I just, I just don't think, I don't think that's a smart or good idea um, because of the issues that I could see coming down the pipeline due to one, both parties knowing what the other party is paying for. Because a lot of times, what's for the kid? There's a gray area. Yeah, like if you see, like, hey, we're getting, I'm, I'm getting pedicures, or I'm, I got a boob job, or something like that. Yeah, that, that's that's problematic. But a lot of stuff falls in the gray area, like going to restaurants or buying nice things, whatever it may be. So, I having a card, bad idea. Let's fix the root cause. Let's not let's not try to put a band aid on, on on the surface stuff. I opened a bag of worms there. Let, let me let me have it about child support, guys. Um, I'll I'll kind of hop in on. interesting statement here chris um you can have you you can and have a constitutional right to not sign that contract here's the catch 22 the judge has no authority over you until you sign um it's a court order so um I mean, I guess, I guess if there was a stipulation on the table, like we're going to, we're going to agree to this, you wouldn't have to sign it. But ultimately um, there's a lot of misinformation about what family court is. And because it's a court of, of equity and not a court of law and what that actually means. Um, But uh, at least here in California, there's department of child support services, which was, which is a governmental agency. Um, but if if a judge makes an order, 
Um, it's just like with child custody. You don't have to sign the agreement of what the judge orders. The judge orders it and that's what it is. Um, so there, there's some interesting constitutional arguments, but I, I don't necessarily follow um, where you're going with to not sign the contract. Yeah, you don't have to sign anything, uh, but a judge is within their rights to order you to pay child support um, once certain criteria have been met. Um, so I don't necessarily agree with that. I think, like I said, I think there's some interesting constitutional rights more along the lines of, of due process and maybe some discrimination. Um, but the ability to just not sign doesn't preclude the uh, a family court from ordering child support. All right, Lindsay here. If you don't want the court to have jurisdiction over you, have a special appearance attorney go and fight the issue of jurisdiction. Just not signing is not going to protect you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we make special appearances like on some jurisdictional issues. We've definitely done that. Um, ultimately, though, that jurisdictional issue is going to get resolved, whether it comes in the form of a UCCJEA, Uniform Child Custody um Jurisdiction Enforcement Act or uh, a hearing where they, they decide what state has jurisdiction. Um, ultimately, when there's children involved, they're the determining factor of jurisdiction. Um, so the court can ha court has jurisdiction um, based on the basis of where they live. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you can fight it on the basis of jurisdiction. There have definitely been cases where not intentionally, but this has happened. Um, this has happened uh, in terms of um, what we've went in and done in court. But if you're just looking to drag things out, it's probably not a very good use of resources. And I don't know many attorneys who are going to, and I can't, I don't know many jurisdictional issues that last more than a couple hearings until the judge says, okay, we can have an evidentiary hearing on jurisdiction. Um, so, um, you can fight jurisdiction, but ultimately in child custody, it's going to be about it. it the children grant that where the children are going to, are going to grant jurisdiction and the courts then will be able to make orders with or without you. Tyler, really good, really good, really good comment here. So the cops in my hometown told me I have no rights as a father until I go to court. This is true in some states. And this is always true if uh, different states call it different things. We call it the voluntary declaration of paternity. So until you're deemed legally the father, and in some states such as Florida, even if you are legally the father until you get to court, you do not have any rights. Um, one of the biggest mistakes men make in going through this process is they wait, they, they, 
They just, they, they're, they're reactive. They're not proactive in going through it. And yes, there are states where you have no rights until a judge tells you you have rights. So um, that, that's something that I would advise you talk to a local attorney. Like I said, I, I know for a fact the state of Florida is like that. California is and it isn't. Um, if you're on the birth certificate, you have every the same exact rights as mom. If you're not on the birth certificate, you have no rights. So um, it, it depends on the state. It depends on the specific circumstance. There are states where you can have rights as long as you're on the birth certificate. Um, but there are states that even if you're on the birth certificate, you have to go to court first. So um, my advice on that is check with a local attorney and and see what your state does <clears throat> because that, that absolutely could be true in your state. So Sebastian here, if a child gets illegally removed from home state, it refers back to um, human interstate child trafficking, according to law. Yeah. So, I mean, we have out here called the child abduction unit. Um, if there's an ongoing child custody case, um, then essentially you need permission of the courts or you need written permission of the other parent. Uh, and if you don't get those and you try to leave the state, yes, that, that could be considered, um, that could be considered kidnapping or that's at minimum a violation of the court order and the other party's relief could be in California, at least you can go in on an emergency basis and get them ordered back to the state. Um, so yeah, that's definitely, especially if you have an ongoing case and there's been orders that have been made, that is 100% true. Unfortunately, in most states, if there's no orders, there's nothing going through. If there's no case that's been filed with the courts, if there's no orders from the courts, then in general, parents have freedom of movement because family courts don't have jurisdiction to tell a parent where to live. They have jurisdiction of deeming where the child should live. Um, so if there's nothing, there's no court case open. For the most part, there's going to be freedom of movement. Lindsay, uh, good, good point here. So, I mean, this is specific to California. I'm, I'm very intimately familiar with it. Unfortunately, I've been dealing with California child support and the California child support agency too much lately. They don't care about anyone but themselves and they will destroy your life and your child's life just so they get their money and the interest keeps accruing. Um, depend it's County by County. I'll, I'll say this San Bernardino County is much colder um, in terms of deal working with you when it comes to child support, where Riverside County, they're, they're willing to work with you. They're willing to have a conversation. If the parents can come to a deal, they'll, they'll sign off on it right away. Um, so I don't know what County you're in or what County you're dealing with, but oh yeah, it, it's, it's certain counties. It's just, they're so cold. Um, San Bernardino, there's just such a high volume. They're so overworked that they just, I think it's just, they don't feel like they have time or they don't want to deal with parents. Um, where certain other counties, you can get a little bit more of a human touch where they can help you problem solve. Um, so I'll admit, I'm not the biggest fan of the Department of Child Support Services. Um, I think there are some shortcomings in the way they do things, no matter the county. 
Um, but, but definitely, uh, definitely feel sorry for you there. Um, obviously reach out if there's any way that, um, that myself or my firm can, uh, can provide support in that realm. <clears throat> he hopped on LA County. Yeah. LA County is about as cold as San Bernardino County is. Um, so, uh, yeah, that, that is, uh, I, uh, I, I have experience with that. So sorry to hear you dealing with LA County DCSS. Hey, this is Travis. Really good point. Sometimes it doesn't work. Um, don't be an asshole when you deal with child support, be respectful. Always. I'll say this. There's been this, I think COVID and the online proceedings made it cool to just be an asshole, to just be rude. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, they're human. I mean, anyone involved in family court, I can guarantee you if you're an asshole, the judge is going to see that. And the judge is not going to want to work with you where if you're nice, if you're kind, if you're polite, if, uh, if, if you show up and you do, you file what you're supposed to file and you do those things, you're going to get a better outcome than if you're just a dick. It's as simple as that. Um, it, it sucks. Sometimes you have to suck it up, but in general, whether it be department of child support services, whether it be the support staff at the courts, they, there's conversations that happen. We definitely have clients who have been pro per that have burned bridges at the courthouse and the judge will never say it, but they probably get less favorable outcomes just because they're less likable. So, um, Travis, uh, that, that's the, I want to put the crown on that comment tonight. Um, don't be an asshole. Um, and it, and it will help you in family court. All right, Ruthie again, another good one. Can I ask why they're always for mom's rights when good fathers are trying? They should have as much rights as moms. Um, so this is a, a situation where um, it goes back. It, it, it's it's a law. There, there's many factors that go into it. There's many things that have gotten us to the point we're in. Uh, the family court system, the way it's run right now, dates all the way back to post-World War II when the country was trying to get moms back in the home. Um, all the way to the 60s and 70s where women's organizations, even in the 80s, women's organizations made, um, spent significant money pushing moms over dads and that young kids needed moms. Um, I, I always point people to, there's a 2017 interview. It's on YouTube. Um, it is on all the major podcast platforms, but, um, it's with, uh, Jordan Peterson interviewing Dr. Warren Farrell, author of the boy crisis. Um, and he talks about how he was involved with the, the national women's organization and they pushed him away in the sixties and seventies because he started advocating for equal parenting. So it's something that's long held. I always point to, we know in criminal court, there's biases based on color of skin and gender. Um, those same judges in most states can cross over, sometimes do both, uh, sometimes get moved from one to the other. So if a, if a judge is making, we'll call it racist or sexist decisions in criminal court, I can only assume their colleague or themselves, if they would hear family cases, are doing the same. So 
it, it's a complex, long ranging issue, just sit, truly a systematic issue that cause it that, 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 that the reason this has taken so long to get going in terms of equal and shared parenting is because it's so deeply rooted in what's always gone on. So Chris here, child support court is not part of the judiciary branch. Third party contract laws being applied is an illusion. So the agency that collects child support is an administrative agency of your state government, most likely. Um, and then they are separate from the court and the, the family courts or the judges who are going to hear the matter. That's why when you have child support matters, at least here in California, it is the state of California. So Department of Child Support Services representing the state of California in uh, requesting child support against another parent. So it'll be the state of California v. Parent, the, the parent who's going to be paying child support and then listed as an other party would be that parent who's receiving. So the agency that collects child support is separate from the court that hears it. Obviously, they work closely together. These attorneys are in front of these judges on a daily basis. But one's an administrative agency that's purpose is to uh, collect child support, enforce child support orders. The other one is the judicial branch that's making decisions in the court. And a lot of times those things merge together because it does feel like uh, the, uh, the, the judges very much will side with the, with the agency, um, with the department of child support services more often than not. So you kind of see a merging of those two things together, but yeah, it's, it's, they're, they're, they're two very distinct entities. Um, if not, it would cause, um, it would cause legal issues. So that's, uh, that on, on that front, that that's, that's where we're at. So one is technically would be part of the executive branch and administrative agency. The other one's going to be judiciary. Yeah, this is another one, an interesting one in California. So um, in California, each county has a set number of judges and then there's state law that allows um, the appointment of what we refer to as commissioners, which preside over cases. Um, specifically, uh, the statute states that um, commissioners can, uh, are, are to, counties are to hire enough commissioners to cover child support hearings. 
but you always have the it, you always have the right in California. If you don't want a commissioner to hear your matter, you can object to the commissioner hearing your matter. So whether that be child support or your family law case, your custody case, your divorce could get assigned to a commissioner. You can object to the commissioner hearing that. So really good point there. I, I'm not 100% certain how much that applies to other states, um, but in California, definitely it's it's probably about 50-50 with commissioners and judges in family court, and you always have the right to get in front of a judge. All right, so we're at an hour and four minutes tonight now, guys. We, we've probably answered 25 questions. Um, so I uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap up here. Um, like I said, I know we had about six weeks there where we were in replays. I'm going to try to be back on here live every single week. Um, last week, I was unfortunately out of town. Um, next week, it's looking the same, but I, I, I'm hoping I have a little, uh, little surprise up my sleeve uh, for next week. So, um, once again, I want to thank everyone, um, 50 episodes, well over a hundred thousand views. Um, it's been an exciting year. I hope that I can continue to provide value. I can continue to, um, educate and continue to provide support for, um, men going through family court. And also tonight, love to see it. So many, um, whether it be grandmothers, um, step parents, girlfriends, or women who are going through that on their own. I think sometimes we forget that, uh, that, uh, it's, there's a, there's a percentage, there's about 13% of mothers who get stripped of their rights in family court. So, and, and we want to make sure that, uh, we're always here to support everyone that's going through that. So, um, here's the 50 episodes. Um, hopefully we do about 500 more, uh, next Thursday we'll be back. Uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern with State of the Family Courts. Everyone have a good night.